This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Get ready, Ohio. FanDuel, America's number one sports book, is coming to the Buckeye State. And to kick things off, you can get started with $100 in free bets as an early sign-up bonus. Plus, when you sign up today with promo code OHIOFD, you'll be all set when FanDuel goes live in Ohio. Then you can bet on all your favorite teams in all your favorite sports with $100 in free bets. Just download FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Ohio, this is your chance to get in on the action. Join today with promo code OHIOFD. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 or older and present in Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio. one Unique user identity verification required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. If you have a family relying on your income, you need life insurance. But finding the best quote shouldn't take a lifetime. That's where Policy Genius comes in. In minutes, Policy Genius could save you 50% or more simply by comparing quotes from America's top insurers. Once you apply, the Policy Genius team handles all the paperwork and red tape. To save on life insurance and get protection for you and your family, head to policygenius.com today. Introducing the Lowe's List for Innovation. While our aisles are filled with innovative products, we've selected our favorites just for you. Like the exclusive Whirlpool washer with industry-first two-in-one removable agitator. We love this washer because you can customize any load. And with other smart features to streamline your laundry routine, this product is a must-have for families. Shop the full Lowe's list of top picks at Lowe's.com. Lowe's, home to any budget, home to any possibility. U.S. only. All right, it's another film study. We're going to get to the breakdown in just a moment. Just a little bit of advice to start the show. Are you having trouble finding suitable care for an aging parent or loved one? Does your family member have long-term care insurance but needs help maximizing the benefits? Bunny's Home Care takes the holistic approach to match your loved one with a caring, compassionate, and responsible caregiver who will help improve their overall health and well-being. From the moment you contact Bunny's Home Care and speak with Bunny, you will feel how personal and important your loved one's care is to her and her staff. Not only does each caregiver go through a rigorous background check and training process, a registered nurse meets each client and creates a customized care plan based on their specific personality and needs. Caregivers can help with such things as bathing, walking, dressing, toileting, companionship, 
medication management, transportation, shopping, and much more. Bunnies Home Care accepts private pay and all long-term care insurance plans and will work directly with your long-term care insurance providers to help ease the burden. Call them today at 443-842-6700 or go to their website and read all the five-star reviews at www.bunnieshomecare.com. Bunnies Home Care is a licensed, uh, bonded, and insured home care agency in the state of Maryland. Check out Bunnies Home Care at bunnieshomecare.com. All right, it's another film study. We're going to look back at the Week 11 uh, victory over the Houston Texans. Ken McCusick, how are you doing? Life's good, Josh. How about you? I'm all good. All good down here. It's hard to not be good after the way the Ravens are playing week in and week out. It's, it's, it's all nothing but good. It has that special feeling. They've had it a few times before, even in the Harbaugh era and in – 08 and 09, they had some great runs when they when they really needed it to, to win some big games. But this really feels like they're they're beating good teams in the in the run now, and they haven't done that maybe ever. Yeah, and also like the team unity. It seems like there's never been team unity like it is right now. I know winning fixes all that, but to see winning youth, no sure. no worries about second contracts yet. Yeah, a lot of that is a lot of that is really good. There's there's uh, you know they don't have a quarterback making a lot of money. There aren't a lot of real concerns that there's not going to be mo- enough money or, to spread around the players. So well, all that is good stuff. Both sides of the ball playing well. Yeah, that helps you when you don't have someone to blame. But it is nice, isn't right? It? But uh, let's get Vass in here and because he is going to do a better job breaking down this game with you than I am. Vass, welcome to back to film study. Thanks for having me, gentlemen. Victory Monday. There you go. And it is Voss, right? Not Voss. Voss, yes. Vasilis Voss. is the uh, the full pronunciation uh, there. Now, remember, uh, according to John Harbaugh, today doesn't exist. <laughs> the neat little comment. All right, Voss, I appreciate you joining us. You're here from Baltimore Beatdown. Tell, tell people about uh, your work over there. Yes, I'm the deputy editor at Baltimore Beatdown. <clears throat> Excuse me. We have a uh, full crew of 10 writers. We do uh, film study pieces, not quite as extensive as yours, but with clips, uh, film review, we should call them. Um, I do key matchups before the game. We do a primer leading up to the game, uh, unsung hero pieces, as well as daily Ravens news. And my Twitter handle is at Vasilis Beatdown, V-A-S-I-L-I-S-B-E-A-T-D-O-W-N. Or you can follow us at Baltimore Beatdown Blog. All right, terrific, Voss. We've had John before and really enjoyed it. The last time, I'm sure we'll, we'll we'll do it again. You know what? There's some things coming out of this game that I can take away. Being a little bit of a worrier about what the Ravens might be concerned about, but it's really hard. I have to grasp in a game like this to find the things, and we're going to talk about one or two. But uh, this is an important and decisive victory. <laughs> It sure was an impressive victory. Early on, it seemed like it was shaping up to be a dogfight, but the defense stepped up, and then the offense found their footing and ended up blowing out a contender. Over the last four games combined, and that's in Cincinnati and in Cincinnati and in Seattle, excuse me, 
and home versus New England and Houston, the Ravens have outscored their op- opposition by almost three to one, a three to one margin. So I think that proves they can beat contenders in convincing fashion. Yeah, I got a nice plus thirty six there against Cincinnati thrown in there in the middle, but we're not gonna we're not gonna harp on that. It's a it's these are absolutely huge wins and. Uh, the offense we're going to talk about tomorrow night is on pace to do so many amazing things. And uh, the defense also really stepping up these last couple of games. Lamar now an MVP favorite. I don't really want to take too much time on this. We'll leave it for next week. He's he's jumped to the favorite ranks when I look at a cross-section of online books. Don't know if you gamble yourself, Voss. Any, any, spend any time on that? A little bit. A little bit. All right. So one of the things I always make sure is I shop around for the right price. So I don't want to just be going to a single bricks and mortar operation or whatever. But but anyway, the online books will give you a better price on things. And it's really a lot closer than people say. But the price I'm having trouble not biting on right now is Patrick Mahomes right now. What What's the odds that would make you pull the trigger? Because I'm just going to look this up for a moment and make sure I have the right one I'm, I'm calling here. Mahomes, I, honestly, I haven't looked at the MVP in a while. Uh, I would probably say... Five to one, six to one. I think he's, you know, he's okay. he's poised to have a strong finish to the season. I, I think. Okay, and he's he's got seventeen and one or something touchdowns, interceptions still, and he's the rating MVP, eighteen to one currently. Wow, wow. It's just wow. <laughs> uh, it's always, I, you know, I really really have to question that one. Anyway, we are where we are. Uh, in terms of the playoff odds, more importantly for the Ravens. Uh, Ravens looking very good and uh, now seem to be a fairly strong likelihood of getting the two seed. Things would really have to break wrong for them at this point with the two game lead over the Texans and the tiebreaker. You know, the Chiefs are probably a bigger worry. We'll see what happens tonight. And by the way, I'm, I'm watching the game delayed. So don't tell me anything about it, boss, if you don't mind. So. OK, we'll do. Okay. <laughs> I have one eye on the screen. <laughs> All right. All right, no, no, yeah, okay, no, none of that. Um, Deion Sanders, I saw him last night, and he he was saying he thinks the Ravens appear to be the best team in the AFC, but that he wasn't going to bet against Bill Belichick in the playoffs, and that and or Tom Brady actually said in the playoffs, probably also made both of them. Yeah, the whole playoff experience angle, and I didn't see it. Deion was my favorite player in my childhood, but I think this take is, is off. Not only Harbaugh, the, the gaudy win loss record in the playoffs, many of those games on the road, many of those games as a heavy underdog with on paper an inferior roster. And he's just a big game coach. He proves his ability. Uh, some believe he's a potential possible future hall of famer. Actually, some even that I was talking to last night that aren't even part of the Ravens fan base. And the coordinators also, as you mentioned, but the playoff experience, that just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. This roster has a lot of experience. Everybody, all the returning Ravens, Lamar, they all tasted the wild card around last year. Yonda, Jimmy Smith, Bynes, Earl Thomas, they are all previously Super Bowl champions. Then you have Ingrams, Peters, Carr, Brandon Williams. They all have considerable playoff exposure as well. It's uh, it's a young team overall, but they do have one seasoned veteran at every at least one at every position group. Yeah, I, I I don't see the logic in the whole thing. Harbaugh, fantastic playoff record as you mentioned. These coordinators have adapted like nobody. So if that's the big 
trump card that Belichick would bring. I would point back to the games the Ravens have won, and in particular the 2012 AFC Championship game. The Ravens came out with a 13 to seven trailing in the at the to begin the second half. They went to the no huddle and and. The big feature of that game, New England had no answer for the no huddle, none at all. And the Ravens you know, drove three straight times, I believe, for touchdowns, uh, outscored the Patriots 21-0 in the second half. And that was the first time Belichick and Brady had ever lost a game where they led at halftime in New England. They've won two of those four games in total. They should have lost all four. The Ravens, honestly, they, they, you know, they dropped the ball from Evans, which was a shame. They blew them out twice. And then they had the deflate gate party where they where they lost the game. I think it's 35-31 or thereabouts. Uh, it was a four-point game in 2014 where the Ravens were again on the doorstep, twice had a 14-point lead. Not hard at all to see them winning all four of those games at Gillette. And it's amazing when you think other teams there are a total of one in 19. Oh, absolutely. They really should have won all four of those games uh, the, the Patriots fans I know, the knowledgeable ones, they they do fear the Ravens in January. They really do, and they should. And as you said, the coordinators have been tremendous this year, Roman and Martindale. I think it's clearly Harbaugh's best pair at the same time that he's ever had. And they prove it week in, week out with their game plans, their play calling. Uh, this team's going to be I, – I, honestly, I'd be more concerned with the trip to Arrowhead than I would to Foxborough at this point. Yeah, they have lost a couple times at Arrowhead, but I would agree with you. I think it's it's certainly something the Ravens fans should want the AFC Championship game at home. And we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves, but they're, they'll be a favorite against whoever they play in that in that divisional round. And if they if they have to go to Foxborough, they should, Ravens fans shouldn't fear it. Love to have the game here. It hasn't been here since 1970, but uh, it really would be something. Uh, uh, that would be okay if they if they had to go to Foxborough anyway. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, 538, they're ELO. I, I'm not sure if that's what you're using, but they're giving the Ravens an 81% chance of uh, earning the bye and uh, a 19% chance to hoist the Lombardi. So definitely trending in the right direction right now. Okay, so I got slightly different odds. I use the Football Outsiders, and it's through. It's excluding Monday night, but it has everything else. And Football Outsiders is saying the Ravens to get a bye, 85.1. Did you call it 81? 81, yes. Okay. And in terms of a conference appearance, the Ravens are at... The second best chance, 34.8%. What did you have there? I didn't have that one. They just said right, the that's Super okay. Bowl. Mm-hmm. So to, to, to make the Super Bowl, no, it's a, I'm sorry, 34.8% is a conference win, not a conference appearance. Okay. So 34.8% chance to make the Super Bowl and 19.6 to win it. So basically what this is saying, and the Ravens have taken a big step forward in this DeVoa-based system. The Ravens took a big step forward in DeVoa this week with their big win. And that has taken Baltimore to be the second best team by DeVoa. New England is first. And the NFC teams are not as good. They're they're a step behind. Uh, they also have to compete with each other uh, in terms of DeVoa. So this is pretty cool that the, the Ravens really are right there with the best teams in the, in the entire league. Sure. And, you know, who else do they need to play? You know, they've already taken on the top two teams, actually the top three teams in the AFC. They lost a tough one to Kansas City on the road. They beat the other two. They went to Seattle. Uh, they haven't played New Orleans or San Francisco yet. Uh, I guess those are the two frontrunners in the NFC, but I don't think they should be scared of anybody right now. 
Yeah, that's that's where I am. I think it, good tests the next couple of weeks. Uh, the games are meaningful in terms of trying to catch New England. Uh, maybe more meaningful in terms of a measuring stick for themselves to really find out where they are as a team. So it'd be fun. All right, let's get back to this game, talk a little defense here. And one of the things I want to start with is packages here because a lot of this deals with some of the personnel things that happen later in this game. Uh, but anyway, the, to talk through, base package, that's, of course, the, the three-down line into the three-four set. The Ravens only ran that one time the whole game. Third and one. It's funny how the base package like that has now become a short yardage package that they pull in on, on a, at a time like this. And they did break through. Judon made the tackle for a one-yard loss, set up fourth and two on the next play. So that's only one time they ran that base package now using the air quotes. Moving on to the nickel. Uh, they split that between a standard nickel and the 3-3-5. We've talked about the 3-3-5 nickel, but I want to bring this up again because it bears on something I'm going to talk about later. The 3-3-5 nickel, three, da- three down linemen, two outside linebackers, only one inside linebacker, and then the nickel. So it, it, you, you exchange one of your inside linebackers to get one more defensive lineman on the field, get a little heavier. Something the Ravens used very effectively in the previous game uh, against New England. Uh, they also used it in the second half against, who was it they used it in the second half? Against Cincinnati to good effect. effect after Cincinnati done some effective running in the first half. But uh, but they they did they got away from it this time. They didn't really use that. Only one time they used it. A second time they actually used it. The first one was Brandon Williams' sack. They kept it in. The next play, Brandon Williams gave it right back with the roughing the passer penalty. Okay. And a 3-3-5 stack, that's... Uh, the, not, it's not I'll... exactly the same thing. The stack is generally is when they play three over three over three. Okay. And it's not the the stack is like a high school type defense or a college type defense. The the three three five nickel at the pro level is really three down linemen flanked by two outside linebackers, so five on the line of scrimmage. Think of it as a five one nickel. Okay, okay, sure, and it makes sense because they have that that, that versatility with its safety, where the, the you know Clark and and Levine, I guess he didn't have see too many snaps, uh, but but they can do a lot of different things. Yeah, so Clark, they, they rely on him with the run fits on that 3-3-5 nickel, and they had Tony Jefferson, who, had, you know, honestly was a great run defender, and that was the maybe one of the biggest strengths of his game, and that was was a nice thing to have. They used the, the, the regular nickel 21 times. Now, that's just the standard thing. We, we don't need to go over what that was. We'll go over some of the results of these, and it's pretty much a case where everything worked for the Ravens. There's not going to be any big surprises in here, but... Uh, in that base defense, they just had the one play for minus one in the uh, standard nickel. They played 21 times, 3.7 yards per play. So there weren't there weren't a lot of things that worked for the Texans in this game. Uh, just the one play for a sack in the 3-3-5 nickel, but then they had a roughing passer to give it back. Didn't count as a play in my numbers there. Uh, also on the, on the uh, in the 3-3-5 nickel, then they played 27 snaps a dime, and that was their primary package. They, they did that a lot in the second half with a big lead, and they did it some, obviously, on passing downs at other times during the game. But you know, that when they bring that in now, they've gone pretty firmly to using Clark as the dime back, that guy in the box, and using Carr on the back end as, as the you know fourth cornerback who's playing safety effectively, a free safety role. That's a strong look, and you have Clark closer to the line to relay the calls there. And... Uh... Carr's done a nice job on the back end, I think, displaying that versatility. Yeah, been been real happy with Carr this year. 
146 yards in, in 27 dime snaps, 5.4 yards per play. That included three sacks. Um, they allowed a lot of their dime yards on two consecutive garbage time plays late. The runs for 17 and 41. That is not a place typically where if you thought there was a reasonable chance that the opponent would run, that you'd have your dime package in. So I'm not really concerned that the Ravens gave up 6.1 yards per run in this game, which they did. 58 of the yards were on these plays, and and I wouldn't completely discount them. It's obviously bad anytime to give up a big play, but you also wouldn't be in the dime package typically when you're doing that and you'd have an extra heavier player on the field whether it's a linebacker or uh, or potentially a defensive lineman in a in a in a three three five look. Sure, I agree with that. Um, the best uh, the best run defense is an explosive offense, right? Uh, they they want to they want to run the ball when they're trailing by thirty points. Uh, we can live with that, I think. More more power to them, yeah. Even though they you know they, yeah, let them score is not great. It's a shame, you know. The, you're at the at the ballpark. I don't know how frustrated you get by this watching on TV, but I hate losing the shutout. I agree. I wanted the shutout. I definitely wanted the shutout. Said that in the first quarter. <laughs> <laughs> it was big. You, you know, you thought you, at various times you get protected, and, you, and you, you might they might have a long field goal to try in the first half, which is often the biggest risk to the shutout. And they missed that one from forty whatever it was. And then the second half, you're mm-hmm. slightly protected by the score. But when they scored that extra field goal to go up 27 to nothing instead of 24 to nothing, then they lost their edge in terms of making an even three-score game that, that they would have forced them to go for it on fourth down kind of thing. Ah, uh, sure. So, <laughs> anyway, uh, minor little things. The quarter defense, seven snaps of that in this game. And we're going to get back to this a little bit because the, the Ravens faced an odd choice in this game between the 3-3-5 nickel, the dime, and the quarter, which really limited what snaps they had for inside linebackers. And a lot of what happened, I think, to Owasso in particular in this game was a function of that. And I want to I try and explain what, what I mean by this. We'll take a little bit of time later on that. Uh, the Ravens have 15 uh, yards only in the quarter, 2.1 yards per play. Ferguson had his sack in the, with the quarter defense on the field, so uh, very effective in that. Not like anything worked. For the uh, Texans, they're not pointing at this game and saying, yeah, we want to do that again as some feature in that. But all of the, the base packages worked uh, worked quite well. Right. <clears throat> yeah, definitely. Uh, especially with, with Houston coming off their bye. I, I kind of expected uh, a little bit, a uh, little more success for them. So another uh, feather in the cap for, for coordinator Martindale. Hey, wouldn't you expect you expect them to stay fresher for longer, wouldn't you? In a, in a game like this, coming off a bye, there's really not a lot of excuse for them to be so flat relative to the Ravens in this game. Absolutely. All right. All right, one more sub-package to note. That's the, the, When they played their 27 dime snaps, a lot of that with, was with the race car in. Uh, other teams may call it different things. I started calling it this, and, uh, you know, once you start calling it this and you tell people what it is, you want to stick with the definition. But – when, when they're doing this, they're lining up now in a modified race car. They have, they have one defensive lineman, four outside linebackers, no inside linebacker, and six defensive backs now. So it's really a sub-package of the dime. And they got good pass rush when they had that on the field. They really had an opportunity to go out and hunt some in the second half. Uh, we're going to talk about the pass rush a little bit later. Obviously, the results were fantastic. In general, they got three yards per play. On these race car package snaps, they got three yards per play, 33 on 11. Uh, it was 110 on 37 overall. 
Um, three of the dime sacks came in the race car. One of the funny things about this game is, honestly, the pass rush was not all that effective, which is going to sound heretical for a seven-snap game or seven-sack game. We're going to get to that in a little bit. Anything else to toss in here, Voss? Well, just just the, the versatility that the Ravens have with uh, a lot of their players just allows them to, to come up with a lot of these creative packages and Everybody wants to talk about the complexity of the offense, and it's certainly very complex, but uh, this is a complex defense as well. Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, they, they, they have a lot of sub-packages they use with each number of, of um, defensive back looks that they have, and, and Martindale has just been a master of, one, adapting to what the opponents are doing, really finding a way to beat it. And I thought, in particular, the Cincinnati game, I mean, you know, it's kind of embarrassing almost to let Cincinnati run the ball against you, but they do come out heavy on you, and you need to, you need to adapt to that. And they, and they did. They did it in the second half, and they, they were very effective. I think the other thing he's been just terrific on in 2018 and again in 19 is really managing snap counts. And this week you had a couple of guys who were just fresh off the street probably huffing and puffing a little. We don't really have a good sense of how, how what kind of aerobic shape these guys were in. In fact, I would surmise that in the case of Pecco and Ellis, part of the reason they signed them both is they didn't have a good sense of where either was aerobically in terms of taking a lot of snaps. Sure, sure. But DaCosta, again, with the uh, the Midas touch, it seems that every everything he, he touches turns to gold. Uh, I guess these... Uh, these two players didn't uh, score a touchdown on their first touch like some of the other uh, yeah. have an interception. But uh, DaCosta's on quite a run here, and uh, it, it really helps. They were lucky in a way that it was a defensive tackle they needed, a position that's a little bit devalued. They could go out and get two capable veterans, two experienced guys. If it was an offensive lineman they needed or a corner, that'd be mm-hmm. a lot tougher to find in November. Oh, that's absolutely true. Yeah, corners, they go down like flies. You really need to have a, a, a deep pitching staff, as DaCosta would put it, in terms of, of what corners you have on the bench. And, you know, the, I, the, they had two corners come off IR this year. They haven't, they haven't suited, uh, suited Iman up. They, right, they did not suit him up for this first game. They activated him to the 53, but they did not activate him on game day. So he's he's sitting in the wings ready to go, but the the uh, the Ravens have been good about that in terms of of making sure they have healthy people come at midseason there. But you're right, I think I think a defensive tackle is in a lot of ways a little easier to find a guy who can help you at least a little bit there. It was notable that they each outsnapped to me at least uh, Chris Wormley, uh, both uh, Pecco and Ellis, fresh off the street. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if that's an indictment on Wormley. He hasn't quite uh, provided the impact maybe that they wanted. Jihad Ward as well. He played 56% of the snaps. It does seem, and then Pierce may return next week, if not probably the following, according to Harbaugh's comments. So the line coach, Joe Cullen, he's uh, he's starting to have a nice solid rotation forming there. And they're allowing uh, Brandon Williams to get some some needed rest. Right. No, it's a, it's a it's a great point. They only needed to get 31 snaps out of Williams this week. Uh, my my numbers may be a little bit lower because it doesn't include penalties, but it's still you know point is still the same. 21 each for Pecco and Ellis, and only 15 as you mentioned for Wormley. Uh, as it in terms of what happened when they were on the field, Ellis was more effective. They only had 2.7 yards per play with him in. He almost never played at the same time as Pecco. They had two overlapping snaps only. 
Uh, Pecco, they gained 5.6 yards per play, including a couple of big run plays happened to be while he was on the field uh, towards the end of the game when they when they scored their touchdown. So uh, you mentioned, I, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I, I mean, Petko, I don't, I don't necessarily think he was at fault for those run plays. We'll get to that, I guess, later. But he's the classic two-gapping uh, nose guard, you know. Yeah. I thought he did a nice job shedding blocks a little bit more better than I thought he'd be able to. And then Ellis, he also made my notes he for his ability to work down the line, find the ball carrier. And he also had some nice pursuit to the second level on a couple run plays. So I think both of them had uh, positive debuts. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I liked how both of them played. And uh, five tackles between them, that's a little something. I think more than anything, just the number of snaps they got out of them is the real triumph of durability and and, uh, and goes to DaCosta and to, and to Martindale for, for making that work. Uh, anyway, uh, good acquisitions there. We'll move on. So let's talk a little bit about the pass rush, I think. We're gonna, we, we're gonna talk about roughing the passer a little bit. I'm looking at the time and how we're going through. Why don't we just pass that up? I, I'm pissed off about the current level of roughing the passer, but we'll do a film study short on it a little bit later in the week. Um, I don't know what roughing the passer is anymore, if Bowser's is, a, is an RTP. The one for Brandon Williams early in the game seemed to be a pretty strong forearm to the helmet, but Bowser looked clean as anything. Just unlucky. <clears throat> Even Brandon Williams, he's attempting to knock the ball out, and then he hits the helmet instead. You know, I, I, they're just ticky-tack. All these are cheap. It, I don't know. Watching Ravens football my whole life, a lot of these I'm saying that's that's roughing the passer, uh, shaking my head. But yeah. as long as they call it both ways, I'm fine with it. But they, they start t- shading one way or another, that's when it's a problem. Well, and it's a problem then because the Ravens lead the NFL with 10 roughing the passer flags. And the average is only less than three per team. So the, the Ravens have been flagged a lot more for it this year. Uh, lots of reasons why, because the extra quarterback hits are going to result in some extra flags. I understand that. And the Ravens are near the top in quarterback hits. I don't know if they're number one, but they're near the top. And I, I do get why that would happen more to a team that's more active in terms of rushing the passer. But just the, the level has just been ridiculous. True, true. Blitz-heavy scheme, too. Uh, you know, hopefully they can clean it up. Ho- luckily, it hasn't cost them too bad, and hopefully it improves. Yeah, just cost them a shutout this game. That was a shame, but uh, but it is what it is. All right, how about we talk about the pass rush, boss? What do you say? Sure, sure. It was it would look pretty good. It did. It looked pretty good in terms of the results, and it looked great in terms of the results in terms of the per-pass yard play. Here's my issue. Despite all of the scheme and numbers that Martindale threw at them, they really got below average ATS results. So the, the, the Texans had ample time and space on 17 of 37 dropbacks. It's 46%. High total by today's standards. Maybe it's only six points above average or four points above average, but it's above average in a game where they got seven sacks and used a ton of scheme. When you, when you put that much effort into rushing the quarterback, you better get home a little more. And if I, if there's anything I take away defensively from this game that really didn't work, that would be it. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, Wink blitzed more than I expected, honestly. Against Watson, I thought he'd play the sticks a little bit more than normal. I should have known better. That, that'll never be his M.O. I, I, uh, I look at the pass rush maybe a little bit differently, I guess, to play devil's advocate. As long as they are pressuring the quarterback, 
regardless of how many they're necessarily uh, sending mm-hmm. or, or scheming, because they've invested so much in the back end in compared to the front end. And I think having a blitz-heavy scheme was always part of the plan. So as long as they're you know, impacting the game in that way, I think they're still doing okay. All right. I'm, I'm, I'm cool with the argument. And they did – usually when people talk about the blitz-heavy schemes, they're talking about the number of pass rushers. And I, I want to carefully – bifurcate these two things in terms of the number of pass rushers the ravens rushed uh five plus on 18 of 37 which has been pretty typical for them they're about a a 50 percent blitz team for the year it's one of the heaviest among the entire nfl no problems there and by the way when they rushed five or six they did they did perfectly fine in terms of the actual results of the play so you're going to say what am i complaining about 18 plays for 41 yards that's you know Barely over two yards per play, you know, 2.3 or something. So that's not the thing to complain about at all. The, the problem is all of the scheme that they're also working with, because a lot of that is you're blitzing somebody from the secondary and you're dropping somebody who's not the ideal coverage person to make room for that. So maybe you're blitzing Clark and you're dropping, you know, Judon to coverage, you're dropping even Bowser to coverage. You get a little bit less quality coverage out of that because of that exchange. And you, you just you may end up paying for that against an opponent who's, who's going to be better at taking advantage of it. So it's my only complaint. It's a very minor one. Three of the sacks they had in this were pure coverage sacks, ample time and space on the play, more than three seconds. Uh, you know, obviously, I would give an a, a enormous portion of the credit for this victory to the secondary and not to the pass rush. I would definitely agree with that. And just to your first point, I definitely agree that the the defensive back blitzes were not particularly effective. Watson seemed to handle those pretty well, whether it was Humphrey from the slot or Thomas off the edge. What what did get to him was the interior, some of the interior, the delayed peanuts, delayed blitz. Mm-hmm. Uh, Fort shot the A-gap to force in a completion later. And I thought the edge rushers did a pretty nice job of containing him in the pocket and allowing some of that pressure to to get him on the turf. Um, the, the knock on Watson, he he holds the ball too long sometimes. It was it was sort of reminiscent of that Marcus Mariota 11 sack game last year. Yeah, Wink made him uncomfortable, and uh, especially after he suffered or apparently suffered appeared to suffer that high ankle sprain. Yeah, I, I agree with that, and and you know. The containment of the pocket was just terrific. I mean, the the, the very first sack, I think that was the, the sack fumble for minus 14 that took, what, five and a half, six seconds. He had three and a half seconds probably before any sort of pressure developed to even force him to move, which is an ample time and space opportunity right there off the bat. But then they started to make him move, and he tried every exit door there was. I mean, move left, move right, move left again, you know, to try and find an exit. There wasn't one. During that period of time, Watson, it really looked like it was going to be a bad Watson game because he did not keep his eyes downfield. It's just it was too complex for him to maneuver in the pocket for him to do so. Well, if that's the case, that quarterback has to get rid of the football. You know, find your closest receiver, ground the ball at his feet and end that play. If you can't keep your eyes downfield, nothing good happens when you can't keep your eyes downfield. Definitely. And I think it really was a prime example of the symbiotic relationship between the pass rush and the pass coverage. I think you said three of the sacks were coverage sacks. I thought four were coverage sacks. Uh, And then on the other hand, though, later on in the game, 
I thought the pass rush was starting to bother him and they were getting some quicker pressures and he was misfiring or rushing the throws on some third down incompletion. So one hand was washing another in that regard. Yeah, a lot of low throws, a lot of a lot of balls grounded right at the feet of his receivers. Not too many high balls. You know, there's a, there's a few things I think might be going on in, in his head at that point. But one of them is I don't want to get a lot of interceptions. You got a quarterback worrying about that. You know, in a game like this, you probably got a good thing going on. He gets, you know, it's 27 to nothing, whatever, and he's really playing for his stats. All right, maybe. <laughs> sure. So. Well, as you met, as you noted, they definitely limited the big play, only three mm-hmm. completions of more than 16 yards. Most impressive stat to me was holding Houston to 20% on third down. They averaged six best, 45% success rate on third down. They only ran three plays from within the Ravens' 30-yard line all game long. Did not know that. That's really impressive. Of course, they didn't. Their touchdown run was from outside, but that's uh, that's very good. Deceptive elements. I did want to mention four deceptive blitzes in this game, which is not a lot. But what they did a lot more, even than they did against New England and against uh, Cincinnati, where they did a lot of deception. Fourteen blitzes. Those are individual blitzes, not five plus. These are deceptive blitzes from, that come from off the line of scrimmage. Ten stunts and two, ten two-man drops. That is a preponderance of stunts. That is a lot of stunts for one game. And they clearly were trying to mix up assignments there. So I think they figured they must have had an opportunity relative to what they'd seen on film against this team. That's interesting, too, because Harbaugh was uh, was talking up their offensive line leading up to the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a lot of coach speak. They, they, <laughs> they, they had Tunsil in there. You know, they were going to have a different left tackle, or at least it was thought that was a possibility. But... I would have thought this would this this is a team sure blitz them from every single angle and and try and get the the free runners on Watson to to get him flustered a little bit but stunts take time to develop and usually giving a quarterback extra time to find receivers particularly when he has good fast receivers like Hopkins and Stills is probably not going to be a good thing. Yeah, I wonder if the if the game plan would have been a little bit different if uh, Will Fuller was able to go because he can really get over the top of the defense. But uh, it worked out, worked out well this game. All right. Anyway, three yards per pass. We're done complaining about the pass rush, I think. Let's talk about the secondary because we want to give them the credit. You know, you and I both do in this game. But let's let's go kind of one by one through them. Pick the order we talk about them here, and I can uh, pull up the stats I've got on them here. Well, uh, let's start with uh, the center, fl- center fielder, Earl Thomas. Uh, what was it? Uh, I think one of the preseason games, one of the younger players was saying, Earl, you're not showing up on the stats sheet. You're not making any plays. He <laughs> says, I'm the free safety. That's my job is to to not be targeted. <laughs> yeah, that's a good thing. And that's, that's so true. They had heat maps of him when he was playing in Seattle, and he was putting a large footprint to reduce the number of targets in the deep middle of the field very, very significantly. I so, saw uh, that. It was incredible. Yeah. Yeah, very, very impressive. So I, I might have it's, – it's always difficult to – particularly when a team is playing zone defense and particularly when a player like Thomas who's breaking on the football, uh, it can you can overcharge somebody for a target that's not really his in zone in particular. But I, I had Earl Thomas for one reception for 10 yards in this game allowed. Um, what I really liked is how well he was there bracketing some of the deep shots. There's a couple, one in quarter two at 132, another quarter four early on where he's right there as the second cover guy on these deep throws that are thrown off target. But obviously, you know, his 
coverage radius and the cornerback's coverage radius are being applied and probably have something to do with how careful Watson is being with that throw. Definitely. The the one that stands out, he had a bracket coverage on a deep post shot to Kenny Stills um, and uh, definitely, uh, you know, showing off what he can do. Yeah. Uh, outstanding uh, game for uh, Thomas. And, uh, you know, anytime the team has so little success getting deep balls, the free safety has to deserve some credit on this. So um, I'm right there with him at the top. Who do you want to talk about next? I thought Brandon Carr had a strong game. Um, maybe he might have missed his, his, his run fit on the long touchdown. But besides that, he had one play where he cut off the sideline to force a fourth down on Watson's best scramble of the game. And then he put pressure right in Watson's face on that comical interception he threw. Yeah, the, okay, the, that was the one to Bynes on the second and four play. Yeah, uh, <laughs> you know, in coverage, we didn't really see him too much, which is a very good thing because he's also playing most of the time deep. Now, obviously, they moved their safeties around a little bit. Carr's one of two safeties that weren't always in cover two. Thomas is sometimes up the line of scrimmage. Carr sometimes as well. I think they tend to play Carr more on the back end, not because he's necessarily the better back end player, but because he's a little bit less physical than Thomas is. And so they want to take less chances with him if they might need him back at corner at some point later this season. Of course, he wouldn't want to take chances with Earl Thomas either, but he's a little bit more stockily built, heavier guy than than, uh, Brandon Carr is. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Uh, But Carr, he really impresses me week in, week out, what he plays, just so versatile. How many different positions has he lined up in the secondary this year? Pretty much all of them, right? Yeah, well, slot, outside corner, free safety, that's for sure. So those are big ones. The other other guy who's been really versatile is Chuck Clark, who's played um, where? Now, he's played big nickel, he's played dime, and he's played strong and free safety. So he's he's really been all over uh, for this team as well. Clark succeeded my expectations. Um, he was just, he looked like one of those just another guy type. Mm-hmm. Uh, but with this extensive playing time here, I think he's he's acquitted himself rather well. Yeah, I mean, how fortunate. I mean, I, the Ravens with a stacked secondary this preseason, I was really looking at it and saying, do we have to fear that Chuck Clark might actually get cut being a third-year player, you know, because we don't have enough fourth-year guys to cut? And, you know, they, they end up, I think they ended up cutting Marcus Maurice Kennedy and then getting him back after the uh, injury designations were made, after they moved um, Marshall. Uh, yeah, Marshall to, to IR. Then they got him back. But anyway, it's it's been remarkable, uh, you know, what he's done. And I, I they knew who he was. Obviously, they knew how smart he was in this preseason. There's probably no risk of him uh, of him being lost. But uh, he's really been a great fit for this defense. Definitely, and you you noted here he uh, he was uh, allowed three receptions for fifty three yards on five mm-hmm. targets, and I agree he wasn't great. I think some of those plays were schemed up during their bye, and truthfully, after watching him now since Jefferson went down with injury, I feel more confident in Clark covering tight ends than uh, than any of the options from last season, whether it was uh, Mosley, Weddle, Weddle, or Jefferson, because I, I think he's just better. Yeah, he's, he's been very good at that. And and obviously the defense has been run a lot more smoothly with him calling defensive signals. He's got to get some credit for that. I don't see any reason why they'll uh, 
go through with the last year of Jefferson's contract. I think he's he's probably cut for uh, salary cap purposes. Uh, we'll see how it goes. You know, Brian McFarlane was on during the bye week. He thinks there's a possibility Jefferson will be traded, that somebody might want him for a six. Say it wouldn't be much. It'd be salvage value. But uh, the, the, the point of that is that basically if you've got $7 million in cap space that you can save, the Ravens may not need it next year specifically. They may be able to rearrange money and whatnot. But that $7 million is $7 million. You have some time to spend whenever it might be needed, whether it's next year during the season or the following year because you can push money forward. There's no reason to spend $7 million that you don't really need to spend. So the, the Ravens have their guy, I think, with Clark, who's going to be their, their signal caller going forward. I don't think they're probably going to need to, need to retain Jefferson. No, definitely agree. $7 million, $7 million, whether they roll it over. Jefferson's a great guy, great locker room mm-hmm. presence, but uh, – when when a player is, you know, outperforming or at least playing up to his level for for a much better price, you know, why not take that savings? Yeah, well, hopefully, both McPhee and Jefferson and McPhee. It's always a possibility McPhee might be back because he's a free agent. But uh, those guys will be on the sideline come January mm-hmm. and be in, be a good presence for that. Maybe even get to make the trip to Miami for the big game if uh, if the Ravens get that far. Sure, I'd like to see McPhee brought back. He's been a great addition to uh, the veteran leadership, but that's conversation for a different uh, segment, I think. All right. All right, we'll do it. Uh, Jimmy Smith targeted five times with two completions for 15 yards, as I have it. Uh, again, people are going to differ on this depending on where they are, but he certainly did a fine job. They, they, you know, All of these guys, just there are very few completions against any individual cornerback. Marcus Peters. He knocked away the 40-yard pass for Hopkins. He did allow a throw of, what was it, about 15 yards for a first down. The toe-tap uh, toe yeah, catch. Yeah, on the right sideline. You just tip your hat with that. Um, what else can you do there? You know, Hopkins one of the best in the game. Yeah. If he's going to get his feet down. I agree. Both this, All the corners, they really did. Uh, uh, Peters has tremendous ball skills. After watching him for a month now, you really – Notice that uh, that tip away was great, and he. I also noticed he had a couple strong jams at the line, some nice press coverage. Jimmy's still running in the form, I think. He he did miss an open field tackle, but he really uses the boundary to his advantage along the sideline very well. Yeah, they haven't tried to move Jimmy to the slot to cover anybody, which I'm happy to see that. I'm happy they haven't been chasing receivers in a way that forced him to the slot. Wouldn't be terrible at it, but I think Jimmy's at his best. Kind of reminds me of Ike Taylor. Mm-hmm. At a point, it was Korean. In terms of a guy, a big, strong, physical corner, who's maybe not quite the the speed he once had, but is really able to use that boundary, just savvy with it. And same Absolutely. side too for both those guys. By the way, both right cornerbacks who like to use that right sideline, uh, left sideline from the offense's perspective. Definitely, definitely. And they and they pretty much stayed on their sides in this game, from what I saw. Mm-hmm. Right, Peters was on the other side, and Humphrey was mostly slot man. That's that's right. So they didn't they didn't make a, a real attempt to chase people around. And of course, they didn't have uh, well, they had a car on the back end of some of it. So, yes, they 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 did not chase. Mm-hmm. It's nice to be able to rotate through too, where they can give the guys a blow here or there and keep them uh-huh. fresh with four guys. So, yeah, they can do that if when they're not using car at safety. So they did do a little bit of car at corner this game, but car mostly was on the field at safety. So they didn't do too much of that. But they did get what do we get about? How many snaps off? Let's take a quick look here just to go through it since we're talking about it. 
So I have Carr playing all but about nine of the defensive snaps and Jimmy Smith missing 19. So that kind of gives you an idea of how they were, uh, how they're going with that. I'm sorry. I got the wrong thing. That's, no, that's Thomas. Missed four. A car bumped up. I thought car increased, had in, increased usage in this game. Uh, the, uh, the NFL book cleared him for 85% of snaps, which I thought was an uptick from the last game or two. Yeah, that sounds right. 48 out of 57 would be about 85%. So that sounds, that sounds all the money. And then Humphrey, uh, yeah. what'd you, what'd you think of that, that challenge pass interference? Well, I'm glad he got away with it. Um, I, I, it's one of these things where I, I didn't think there was a snowball's chance in hell that thing would be reversed based on what I saw. I think, yeah, I would have probably called it pass interference originally, but you already know what the you know what they've done with pass interference calls this year. Your first challenge has more value than your second. Why would you waste it? Uh, exactly. That's the way I saw it. It was probably pass interference, but definitely not blatant enough. To be overturned. Yeah, he's a hair early, but he still was playing the ball, I thought. Uh, but Humphrey had a really strong game, I think, mm-hmm. as well. Just like Thomas, when you're not targeted and the quarterback has time to scan the field, that means you're, you're doing pretty good in coverage. And I think objectively we can say the Ravens have the most talented secondary in the NFL right now, and, and Humphrey is probably the best performer of the of the bunch. Right. I I would completely agree with that. So he was only targeted on a 137-yard incompletion to Hopkins on the right sideline. There was a questionable one. It was an eight-yard completion to Cote in zone. It was late in the game. Uh, first of all, it's an eight-yard completion, five plus three or whatever it was. It's not like it's a big stain on your record or whatever. But when you're when you're left alone that much, as you mentioned, and the and the your pass rush is picking up a bunch of coverage sacks. Some credit has to go to you <laughs> for doing that. <laughs> Definitely. And so anyway, uh, we won't get into it, but I, uh, there are, is another grading system out there that didn't think Humphrey had a particularly good game, which was very interesting to me. Uh, all right. Most uh, of it was in zone. I thought the man coverage was, was excellent in this game. Pretty, The only consistent – I mean, Hopkins is going to make some plays. You know, he's just going to yeah. make some plays. But their only consistent success was really uh, attacking underneath in front of the zone. That was really the only way they had any passing success, consistent at least. Right. Slant, slant, slant to Hopkins, all kinds of throws like that. I mean, he's a very talented receiver, but it just when they tried to get past the edge of anything, it, it didn't really hold up for them. Yep. All right. Here's a player I want to talk about, and this is one of the kind of the sadder stories going on here. Uh, if we move on to some individual notes here, I want to talk about Patrick Owasso. Um, he only had nine snaps in this game. All right. Now, after his sack, and you saw that it was on a delayed blitz. Honestly, I'm not even 100% sure he should have delayed on the play because it looked like Fells, the tight end, might have been his coverage assignment, but Fells was clearly stood up against uh, Ferguson on that side. So it looked like mm-hmm. he should have been rushing the quarterback quicker on that play. But he did get home, got a nine-yard sack on Watson on that play. That was his final play then until the final series of the game. Half the game, he basically sat out between snaps there. First of all, anything to say about that? Uh, I don't know. It's uh, it's not what I expected leading up to the season, but I, I can't... 
I can't disagree with uh, with the usage. I mean, even when you when you go through the personnel packages too, there's not a whole lot of inside linebackers on the field. But I think uh, Ford and Bynes are just maybe more consistent. Right, and and that's where I am. So there's there's I wanted to go through this because the topic was on Twitter today of whether or not Awaso had been benched. And you know, my response to it, and I didn't, I didn't want to get into a big argument over it on Twitter, but I do want to talk about it here, is Owasso, you don't have to think, it, the, the term benched has a punitive nature to it. Like, he did something stupid, so they, they sent him over to the bench to think about what he'd done wrong and fix that. I don't think it's a case of that. I think it's Owasso, ability-wise, is not the guy they need right now to play any of the inside linebacker roles that they have available. And, you know, they're really struggling to very narrowly define a role for him that really makes sense. And last year, he, he did a lot of situational pass rushing, some, um, what do I call it, complementary pass rushing, where he was involved in some pick plays or took advantage of that himself. And they did a lot of stunning in this game. So maybe that's a place they could have used him. But then we talk packages. Okay, so the Ravens have several different places where they could use him. But... Let's start with the 3-3-5 nickel. Okay, so the 3-3-5 nickel, they're trying to stop the run. They put an extra lineman on the field, and they take out an inside linebacker. Well, if you only have one inside linebacker, and it's to stop the run, it ain't going to be Peanut. It's going to be Bynes because he's their best run stopper. All sure. right. All right. If they go to the dime, then they want a guy who can be a pass defender. And why that's important is because you want to have the flexibility to have your coverage rotate as you see fit in order to rush from the slot, from safety, from dime back, wherever you want to have that happen so that you can maximize the number of different angles you can come at that quarterback, particularly on third and medium, but even third and long. And when you do that, when you when you have Owasso on the field, you kind of know he's coming because he's such a coverage liability uh, in terms of, of being on the field. So I think it makes it difficult to get him on those kind of downs as well. So they've been going with LJ Fort there. Sure. I mean, what does that leave? He's a he's a second and medium specialist. Yeah, that's that's really where you are. And Ellerby had that role at one time. And and you know, he'd be play 15 snaps a game or whatever doing that. For Owasso, this is a big step down. I mean he's he was been given the green dot and the Mike linebacker starting role on the field for every snap. Then he got hurt and he's gonna come back and he's gonna play Will linebacker on a part-time basis, maybe similar to what he did last year, 42% of the time. And he, the first game, I believe that's exactly what he played. Played great against New England, I think. Yeah, New England, he was great, right? He had a couple couple big plays against That's where he had the, uh, the, the punch out, right? He punched punch the ball out, away from Edelman and that Humphrey picked up. There you go. And he also had, if it, was, it wasn't a sack, he had another big play in that game. One of the big plays. Might have been a sack, but, but I'm, I'm forgetting now. Anyway. We are back to the only time he really can play is in the regular nickel if they choose to put one of Bynes of Fort off the field and have it be either Fort at middle linebacker and, and Owasso or Bynes at middle linebacker and Owasso at weak side linebacker. But they had seven of those in that long half stretch of the game, seven nickels where they played both inside linebackers and they chose Bynes and Fort every single time. Yeah, that's interesting. That's interesting. The thing with Peanut, I think, on the positive side, he does make some plays. He he's had quite a few forced fumbles. He gets some sacks. I think it's really up to Wink to 
see if he could find ways to utilize that without exposing his vulnerabilities. It, it may be a tall task, um, but Wink has done a really nice job of putting the players in position to succeed. So I guess we'll have to see how, how it materializes down the stretch here. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, sad story. Uh, I hope I hope Patrick finds the right spot for himself uh, in the league. I just wonder, you know, what that might be. I, I kind of doubt he'll be back with the Ravens next year, but you never know. Maybe this is playing for Wink is the best place for him. He may he may be better in a in a forty three front. I think um, I don't know somewhere where he can kind of come forward without having to go backwards, but. Uh, who knows? I wouldn't definitely wouldn't be breaking the bank for him in free agency. Mm-hmm. I, I'll, he'll uh, he'll have a prove it deal. I'm pretty sure next year. So we'll we'll see. Who would you like to talk about next? I picked Owasso. Your turn for a second guy. Um, I think we need to highlight Ferguson, the uh, the rookie. Uh, I think this was his coming out party, uh, first sack of his career with a nice combination pass rush off the uh, off the right side. He snipped, sniffed out a dump-off pass for a big tackle for loss, fumble recovery. He even beat Tunsil a couple times. Not his best game as a run defender. He did get called in the wash on one play that I noticed. Uh, but he's really improving his pass rush production, and uh, I thought it was a good game for him. It's, it's encouraging to, to have a little bit of a threat coming from the other side. Yeah. The uh, in terms of the run play, he overran the seven. I think it was the seventeen. Might have been the forty-one. But which the two run plays they had consecutively, one of those plays he badly overran and kind of exposed that side being uh, open. I had him more for one other negative edge setting note. Uh, but I right, you're right. I mean the, the the plays you've all named. I mean he was Johnny on the spot to pick up the the fumble, which he that's just a. It's not random. The guys who do that well. They go to the ground well. They, they they collect the football well. They aren't bothered by the rotation of the ball, that kind of thing. I mean, it's just it's nice to see him be able to to, to do that once. And it was a cleanup sack, but it was a uh, uh, it was still he, he beat Titus Howard on the play and and uh, and took him down. Wait a minute, is that a cleanup sack or no? no? I, I think. think that was a, I think that was a pure sack. He he got a speed rush and then he crossed his face. That's and right. Took him That's down. Fine. Yeah. Yeah. It was, I don't know if that was a rip or a swim, but he, he went right off. He, he beat him with the speed rush and then crossed over and hit Watson immediately. Um, so that was pretty good. The thing I noticed this game, there wasn't just one pass rusher in the backfield on the plays where they did make a sack. It was Ferguson and Judon and Ward and a few other guys just kind of encircling Watson. And maybe that's why they, they got him on the ground instead of just putting a hit on him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's uh, that was it was nice to see, and he really definitely did not have his eyes downfield at that point. It was uh, <laughs> that was pretty sweet. Uh, all right, pick us another one. Who do you want to talk about? Well, let's talk about uh, the inside backers, not including Peanut. Um, I thought Fort was at least partially to blame for that forty-one yard touchdown to ruin the shutout. Hyde cut back on an outside run, and both Fort and Carr had already overpursued. And then he caught Thomas on the wrong foot and broke the broke the uh, the shutout. It was similar to Nick Chubb's long touchdown run earlier in the season. Not uh, dissimilar at all. Right, and I think without just two or three or four runs, this this rush defense would be right up at the top of all the metrics. But uh, 
I hope they can clean that up though. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh it was a shame to see that see the shutout lost. And and you had some good splash plays made early in that drive to get it to a point it's third and fourteen, I think, on the on the play when the rough of the passer occurred. And then a ridiculous rough of the passer on Bowser that gave him a fresh set of downs, and all of a sudden pass for eight, run for seventeen, run for forty one, and they're in the end zone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Judon missed a tackle on the on the fourteen yarder too. It looked like he was trying to strip the yes. ball out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But Bynes, he's he's a reliable, just a reliable tackler, really makes mistakes. And he's I, I think he's underrated in coverage. I think he's a pretty good coverage linebacker. What's he had? Two or three interceptions on the season now. Yeah, so he's he's got two. He had another PD. I think that's right, two interceptions, another PD. So he had the first one, it was a very opportunistic interception on a ball in front of him. The play was in front of him. He had that PD in the second game, which I believe might have ended a drive. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, no, no. He tipped it and Humphrey intercepted. I think that's that, that's that one. Exactly. Uh, that, that was outstanding. In that's the red play. zone. It was. It was down near the goal line. It's a play behind him, though, is what I really look. And, and, and this one is a play behind him, too, even though it was across the field. It was, it was horizontally behind him. He was, you know, the quarterback's almost to the line of scrimmage. He's right at the line of scrimmage, and the, their intended target is a couple of yards beyond it's just it's very nice to have a have a inside linebacker and make plays on the on a ball that's headed behind him. Definitely, and I just don't know what Watson was thinking on that play. It almost looked like he was <laughs> la- he was lateraling it behind. So I don't know. It could have been if he dropped it, he might have picked it up and been a fumble recovery. Either way, that, that was a that was a weird play. That's how you know that uh, Watson was rattled at that point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he did he did honestly a pretty good job of grounding the football. I thought in the second half. Of uh, when I say a good job, he took no chances with interceptions in that mm-hmm. second half. But uh, but yeah, all righty, all right. Who else we have to talk about that we haven't so far? Judon, Judon. What a game! You want to start? Um, go ahead, go ahead. You start. All right. Just I, I've got a, a play-by-play breakdown of the notes I've got on him for this game in the article. I I'd encourage you to go out to it and just relive this because Judon may never play another football game as good. I mean, this was really outstanding. It's right up with the three sacks in a row. In addition to the two sacks he had, so he got a late strip sack, and obviously that was a um, a nice cleanup and a great forced fumble there at the end of that. But just later, within three minutes of that, he flushed Watson right, and Watson barely made it past the line of scrimmage for a gain of one. That's a sack plus one. That happened on, I think, third and nine. And effectively, that's a sack. They don't call it a sack, but if it, if it was one yard less, it would have been a sack. Mm-hmm. So to me, that play is, is just as significant. Obviously, he has as good quarterback hit value, even though I don't think it's recorded as that either. Uh, but uh, anyway, great game. Obviously, had tons of other pressure events as well. Knocked down the quarterbacks other times. Uh, it was terrific against the run. And he made the one great play on the pass by the left sideline in his case, right? Where he took Kuti down when he when he uh, uh, reversed his way back into the backfield for a loss of six. Was that the wide receiver screen? Wide receiver the, screen. The, the bubble screen. screen. The bubble yeah. screen. Yeah. Uh, tremendous game from Judon. It, it really was. Uh, definitely up there with the Tennessee game. I also want to mention, I thought he was the best player on the field in the wild card game. Last season, the loss, he had uh, five quarterback hits, two tackles for loss in that game. He really reminds me of Suggs in every single way. 
the, the powerful pass rush, making tackles for loss off the edge. He shares his personality in practice, in games, mm-hmm. off the field. And even uh, they share some of the bad penalties, to be honest. And he, he's shouldering a big workload this season. I think he's up close to 80% of snaps. Big difference from the last two years when they were cycling through quite a few uh, edge rushers. And he's still producing without a complementary threat on the opposite side. Um, so I think Judon's, he had a, he, it was a prove it year. And so far he's proving it. Yeah, I, he's, he's definitely a player that uh, the Ravens need to really consider now. I, I I was in the in the point where I didn't really think it was going to be reasonable to try and keep him. Because if you got a player who's just a hair below where you'd be willing to expend the franchise tag, that's the guy that's going to be hard to keep at a reasonable contract. Because there's a lot of desperate teams out there who need an edge rusher who are going to have the money to pay for it. The Ravens, unfortunately, may be one of those. And, and I hope that Judon, if they sign him, can live up to whatever contract it is they end up giving him because it's a uh, uh, it could potentially be a pretty large portion of the cap if they do. I, I have some thoughts on that. Uh, if Josh wants, we'll circle back to that in the mailbag section because I think that was one of the questions. It's definitely, right. um, it's definitely going to come up in the mailbag. Multiple questions okay. after that type of game from Judon. Okay. All right. We'll circle back then. All right. Fair enough. Well, how close are we to the mailbag? Do we have anybody oh, talk about our MVPs? You ready for that? Um, sure. Let's go for it. All right. So we'll go three to one. Do you want to start with your third guy? I'm going to go with... Earl Thomas as my third. All right, good choice. I think we talked about a lot of the reasons. Love it for a game like this. Humphrey, similar reasons, not targeted in a game where you get a bunch of coverage sacks. And by the way, I think I agree with you on the four coverage sacks. The fourth one would have been Brandon Williams' sack where there was a declined penalty. It didn't get there within my time requirement, but the thing was he was also held on the play. So that kind of would have caused that to be triggered anyway. So I, I think I agree with you on the four. On the topic of Brandon Williams, I'd like to give him an honorable mention for this game. Uh, he's continues to be a bull against the run and finally making an impact as a pass rusher. I think this is probably his best season as a Raven, at least his best since 2014-2015. Yeah, how cool is it that Williams has been the guy they're now using in this race car package with, with one down lineman only, that he's the guy as opposed to Somebody else. It was McPhee when he was healthy, but but uh, you know now he's the guy. I didn't think he had it in him. I really didn't, and it's been a pleasant surprise. Yeah, big big jump forward. You know, if could you get back McPhee as an assistant coach next year, even if he wasn't maybe going to be a player? The guy, it, he plays defensive line with the most violent hands I've ever seen in terms of like he's almost like he's playing a video game or punching at something with alternate hands where he's making progress with those punches. I mean, just it's 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 weird, but it's like players like Ferguson and and Sealer and other players who have a lot of physical strength could learn to play with those violent hands. And, and McPhee would, could certainly teach him how to do that, I think. Always enjoyed McPhee since the beginning. I, I hope he still has another year of play left in him, but I guess that's a conversation for uh, for the spring. There you go. All right, so where were we? Do I name number? Name, name, you named number your number two guy. Who was it? Uh, number two is going to be Humphrey for me. I, Humphrey. We're pretty we're pretty similar on this uh, list. It's, it's harder than I. <laughs> and number one, Judon. Judon. Judon it is. You know, 
All that pressure, all that pressure. I thought Bowser, just quick side note, Bowser had a nice game. Mm-hmm. His uh, his elite athleticism was on full display on that first sack where he just shut down Watson there. Um, and he's coming on pretty well, too. Yeah, I think it's a good the, – the race car is a good package for him because he typically sets up outside. They did a little bit of freaking around with it in this game where they didn't line up Bowser every single time on the outside, or Judon for that matter, and they'd normally be the outside, too. There's a good reason to have that be the outside, too, because if you want to zone blitz out of that, you can drop either of those guys to coverage, and they're both pretty good. Sure. But but Bowser, um, in that package, his athleticism plays more because you have more chances for one-on-one matchups across the board where he's going to have a better chance to, to, to do some things. I know Bowser hasn't been a guy who's always won the edge, and so if he has to be worrying about two things at the same time, run defense and pass defense— not necessarily so great, but he is a guy who I think can win one-on-one matchups as a pass rusher still. And he's going to get the chance, at least for the rest of this year, because the cover is empty in terms of other pass rushers for the Ravens. Well said. Well said. All right. I think we're ready for the mailbag, Josh. How you doing there? All right. Plenty of stuff in the mailbag. Um, again, use your hashtag film study mailbag on Twitter to get your questions in. And let's just jump right back to Matt Judon. And let's go with Dustin Cox's question. Do you think the Costa should pony up and keep Judon? Uh, there were some other questions on here from some other people. Same concept. Did Judon get to the point that now the Ravens need to pony up and pay him? Or did he get to the point that the Ravens can no longer afford him and he's out? It's a fine line. <laughs> Uh, you want to start off, Boss? Sure. And actually, Dustin's a colleague of ours at, at Baltimore Beatdown. So it's kind of funny he asked this question because we had a heated debate on our on our blog last night uh, about paying Judon. I've been pounding the table to retain Judon for a while now, um, probably since this time last year. And here, here's the rationale. It will be very difficult to find a comparable replacement in-house, in the draft, or in free agency. Some teams, New Orleans, for example, traded two first-round picks to move up to get a pass rusher, edge rusher, Marcus Davenport. He has not played well. Uh, Kansas City traded a first-round pick and paid Frank Clark $21 million average annual salary. He's been a bust. Mm -hmm. And I think Judon's a top 10-ish, top 12-ish two-way edge. Not everybody fits this scheme. It has a lot of responsibility to that position. Uh, his stats since 2017 are nearly identical to to David Young Clowney across the board. Every every column of the statistical. I'm not saying he's as good as Clowney necessarily, but I think he's probably nine tenths. So maybe he deserves nine tenths of the contrast. Um, also, in previous years, the Ravens have let expensive pass rushers walk from Adelius Thomas and obviously Zadarius Smith last year, a few others in between. Two big differences between then and now. Number one, they didn't have the cap space. And number two, they were bringing back at least one player, at least one edge rusher, outside linebacker, to anchor the unit. Uh, if you lose Judon, you're down to, what, Ferguson and Bowser? It's not a great – it's a different scenario. It's a different scenario. So I believe Judon should be DeCosta's number one priority this offseason. I'd also like to keep Peters. I think he's a special talent as well. Personally, roster building wise, I'm firmly in the pay prime age premium position players, mm-hmm. uh, and I think uh, I think I believe the Ravens do have some strategic advantages. Seven draft picks in the first four rounds projected upcoming. 
They find UDFAs. They find bargain players. So I think even with paying Judon and Peters and Stanley and Humphrey and having a top-heavy roster salary allocation, I, th- I think they'd be able to overcome that. Yeah, you should you should be able to afford those four guys, and that's pretty much it. I mean, right. they 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 won't have a lot of additional money. And and one of the concerns I would have is, you know, that means Michael Pierce is gone. Well, we're already fighting the Michael Pierce war right now, so they're going to have to either find get Daylon Mack playing at the appropriate level next year, whether it's hurt or not to go into IR here, or find somebody else who can, you know, be, you know, step in and be the big body that they really want. Uh, you know, they've. The the devil's point or devil's advocate point for not retaining Judon would be if you really thought that Bowser could take a step forward the remainder of this year and be the Sam linebacker they need because that's the real shortage is the Sam linebacker is a combination coverage and pass rush guy and they're in absolutely living and cream right now to have. Judon and uh, and Bowser on opposite sides, who both can drop to coverage and give them all sorts of pass rush flexibility. They're not; they can't reasonably expect for that to be the case long term. So that what I would hope for is that they'd be able to retain one good uh, outside linebacker who's a, who's who's a good Sam, and then have another who's just starting out at year one again. And uh, and that is a possibility. But they've got one at year four, one at year three right now. It's kind of an uncomfortable spot to be in terms of knowing exactly what they have. Even if they did retain Bowser, they'd still have a problem at the end of 2020 in terms of what they have. So I, I think I've, I'm over into your camp now, Voss, and, and I would stick with trying to make an offer to Matt Judon. Try to make it make sense, of course, but uh, but there's a point at which they're, gonna, they're probably going to have to pony up some significant money. Sure, and there's a limit. You know, you're not going to pay him a blank check. It has to make sense. But if you can get him for slightly below that really primo tier one all pro type and pray him instead pro bowl type money, mm-hmm. and then you enter the off season, really you need to beef up the defensive line. But I think it's easier to find defensive linemen, defensive tackles, particularly in the draft, than an edge rusher. A lot of, a lot of early round edge rushers bust and teams reach for them, and it's really tough to find one. Yeah, I, I agree. And and the Ravens, more than that, have terrific positional savvy at finding big bodies that are undervalued in later rounds. So they, they did it with, you know, they started, they did it with Brandon Williams in the third round to get him. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's uh, uh, unbelievable. They got even Michael Pierce, a UDFA. You know, they found him. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm confident in DaCosta's ability to, and his small school scouting in particular to find those guys. Definitely. All right, what do you say, Josh? Yeah, let's let's uh, stick with DaCosta and same question, but Marcus Peters. Is this a rental or is this a guy that they can find a way to keep? Got to try to keep him, in, in my opinion. He's, he's so critical to what you can do. You know, the, the things you can do when you're scheming pass rush, we saw the interception particularly against Cincinnati where it's a young quarterback, I know, but – Peters knew that a seven-man pass rush was coming, and he could undercut that route with basically impunity. He didn't have to be right very often as a percentage of the time. Sure enough, the play is exactly what he expected to be and ends up being a pick six. You just It takes a special sort of smart player to be able to do with that. And, and I, I want Marcus Peters in Baltimore. I want the greatest interceptor of all time to be here, whether that ends up being Reed or Peters. <laughs> and it really is. It could be, it could be either at this point. Peters is great. What what a trade for DaCosta. Mm-hmm. I, I think it has to be the I mean, it's only been 
a month now, but best trade in team history. Uh, who, what else even compares? Maybe Bolden, but I think that was a second-round pick. Uh, regardless, Peters, I definitely think should be a priority to keep. Um, Daniel Jeremiah, former Ravens scout, now NFL personality, has a theory that you need 11, I think it's 11 players to have to win a championship, foundational players. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you could look at the Ravens roster, you have the quarterback, you have bookend offensive tackles, mm-hmm. you have a wide receiver and a tight end, so the offense is in pretty good condition. Then on defense, two cover corners and a free safety. And if you keep Judon, you have a pass rusher. And you have Williams up front. I mean, you pretty much have that, and you're 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 just set at all the premium spots long term with young guys, and you can fill in some of these players. They give you advantage, strategic advantages, other places. Earl Thomas, for example, allows you to put a safety in the box more frequently. Long story short, pay corners. <laughs> yeah. Uh, play around your stars, but if, when you play corners, when you pay corners and you don't, you can leave them on an island, at least originally, or they're smart enough to know what they can and cannot try on that island, even if they, they're going to give up some receptions. That's still a hell of a value out there. No question. All right. Adam is wondering, did you see any notable scheme or execution changes this week that attributes to the high sack numbers? Okay. You you want to start with that one? Um, I think you're the you're the scheme expert uh, yeah, breaking I, everything down. And, so. and I'm, you know I'm really trying to think of what scheme it was that led to those sack was numbers. It, they they flustered him. Was it simply that the coverage forced him to hold the ball longer? Yeah, in a sense that could be scheme depending on whether they're playing man or zone. I I haven't looked at the all twenty two yet. That doesn't come out until overnight. So I really haven't had a chance to look at that in a great depth. Uh, for anything, but uh, in terms of what happened, uh, you know, in terms of the amount of time that the the pass rush had to get home, yeah, I mean, I'm excited about that. I don't, I, I can't pinpoint it to any scheme. If it was pass rush scheme, it would be apparent from the broadcast video. But if it's some coverage scheme that was especially useful at at making frustrating Watson, I, I wouldn't have seen it by now. I think. Um... As I mentioned earlier, the fact that they had multiple players applying pressure so Watson didn't have an escape route on a few of the sacks was definitely helpful. Obviously, coverage coverage carried the day. The uh, I believe it was Judon's second sack. Uh, he had a tw- I think it was a twist off the left side. That was a that was a pressure or, or a a, um, a call that I hadn't seen too much. But uh, other than that, nothing really comes to mind. Right, uh, lots of ten stunts in this game, which is what you're you're really afraid. Of. And anytime they the the looping over guy, I'm referring to as the stunter in that case. Even if you you some people would call it a twist, some people might call it a stunt. Okay. Right. Uh, yeah. All right. Um, let's see. Mr. Ed is wondering about the third down play where Humphrey lined up off coverage in the slot, then turned his hips to face the sideline, and then he blitzed at the snap. Have you seen him do this before, or was it something new? Blitzing off the slot is not new, and I'm, I'm trying to remember that coming up. So he was lined up against the slot, and then he blitzed off the slot. That's a fairly common Ravens right. technique. He do had you know a, what he's talking about? Yeah, he, it was just the way Humphrey positioned his body was kind of odd because he was, uh, I guess, perpendicular to the line of scrimmage with his back to the quarterback, which, which kind of 
was a funny look, but uh, slot blitz is a staple of uh, Martindale's scheme from even last year. I mean, Tavon and even Webb, you know, years ago. So that's uh, they like to do that, and it's usually effective. All right, let's uh, let's close out the mailbag with two easy questions. First one up is uh, is will the combination of the amount of fun the players seem to be having and the success the team is having, will this make Baltimore more attractive to free agents than in previous years? All right, I'm, I'm going to take the guys who are still returning here, and you take guys who are coming from the outside. Sure. I, I'm going to say that for guys who are returning and have really experienced it, I think there's maybe something to say about that. I do think that Matt Judon in particular has kind of a chip on his shoulder about not wanting to take a hometown discount. But I think for a lot of other guys, they might – eagerly come back here and 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 the guys who would be a consideration be people like mcphee who probably gonna have to take another one year prove it deal somewhere and they might prefer baltimore than somewhere else as ravens fans i think we all want everybody to take a home home discount it's not realistic you have to respect the players have a short shelf life they have to maximize their earnings i do think that there is something to the lamar jackson effect i really do from outside the league if you watch how the players interact on social media or their comments in the post-game press conferences or uh just the way they're interacting on the field everybody seems to really be enamored with lamar across the league and you may have some players that want to play with him. You may even have some people now that the Ravens are, you know, one of the front runners to uh, to to win the championship. You may have some veterans that have been chasing that uh, that ring their whole career, and maybe they'll come here a little bit cheaper. Who knows? That was not, by the way, a big benefit to the 2001 Ravens after they won the championship. Then they attracted some. Uh, some guys who really did want to play out the string very quickly. Elvis Gerback was very affected by by September 11th and really retired early. Mm. But the other guy who just stole his salary from the Ravens was Leon Searcy. Didn't he, he tore his tricep in preseason or something? Never played it down for the Ravens. Six-year, $30 million deal or five-year, $30 million deal, whatever it was. That was a tough Well, that season was derailed by Jamal's injury from the start. There you go. And we did talk earlier in the season with Sarah uh, around Bolden's retirement thing about how the Ravens are already an attractive team and that players want to come and be part of this organization. Yeah, I think it's cool what they've done to uh, bring back the legends of the game. And maybe it's it doesn't have to be a ring of honor. It's like a step below that. But you bring a player like Lardarius Webb back who's had just a marvelous moments. In this case particular, one of Webb's greatest games was against the Texans. And it's just a cool, it's cool to see him out there carrying the shield around. You know it meant a lot to him. And uh, yeah. Bold, Bolden comes to mind. I mean, he played more years in, in uh, San Fran, or excuse me, Arizona, than he did here. But he retired as a Raven because uh, even, especially with the way they traded him after the Super Bowl for, for just a little bit of cap savings, and, and he still came back. So I thought I was impressed with that. Right. All right, Ken, here's an easy one for you. Jeremy is saying, I, I saw that your defensive notes got out this morning. How do you do it? So I went back <laughs> and looked, and you had these posted at 5.30 this morning. So why yeah, don't you so share a little bit about your process and how your, your 24 hours after the Ravens games go? Okay, well, I think we've we've been through this before. We've been doing it a few times, but we keep getting new people who keep being surprised with how quickly you get this out. Very cool. So we'll just go through it. So is is a one o'clock game? 
was a one o'clock game, right? I've, I've lost track of time yes. here in the last 24 hours. <laughs> anyway, um, we'll go to a one o'clock game. We leave around noon. Uh, we get there. We record the secondary while we're at the game. So that's because that's harder to get from the broadcast video. So we get home and we only need to fill in the other positions that are on the field defensively. So that's the first thing I work on. We have to write up a score sheet to do that. I, I then hand score it. And then we enter it in the database and then that's available for all the package information that I have. And so there's no, there's no real way to easily get at it otherwise. That we complete that by about 7.30. And then at starting then, we do a, a complete review of the game one more time on the defense just to write down defensive notes. So I've got a lot of quarter and time stamped plays, each with notes on that. And Voss, you probably do a similar thing like that to, to keep track of notes yourself in terms of going through, I'm guessing. I use a, a split sheet notepad, but I don't. I don't. Nothing I do compares to what you do. You're the best. <laughs> I appreciate it, man. Thanks. Right. But anyway, by by about uh, 9:30, we're done with our notes, and then Maureen can go to sleep, <laughs> and I'm up the rest of the night doing my uh, doing my writing based on that. So I kind of have to I bullet point out what I kind of want to say, and then we we uh, you know, make that into an article here. All right. So everyone, think about Ken next week after a Monday night football, the week of Thanksgiving. <laughs> it's going to be a tight week and by the way that we should tell some people about some timing things for next week i think so we're going to do the defensive and offensive review record those both on wednesday night which will be a challenge for us but we're going to try and get them both done that night and uh and we have some good people on next week by the way some very exciting guests not that voss isn't a good guest but we have uh michael crawford and dev penchwa on next week all right great and yeah, you'll have all that to listen to when you have had enough family time on Thanksgiving. <laughs> all right, you, need a little, you need a little break from family time. Exactly. <laughs> or, or you can always do the one uh, headphone in one ear and everyone at the table thinks you're paying attention with the other. <laughs> not, yes. Yeah, exactly. All right, Baltimore Beatdown, what's going on over there that people should go check out? We are just covering. We have uh, we pump out three, four articles every day, and uh, we have a really nice community of, of avid fans. Some good, good debates, good conversation, and uh, we're uh, we're cheering on a hopefully what is a special season right now. It does have that feeling, doesn't man? The camaraderie, as Josh mentioned in the opening, the the way the players interact with each other, they they do seem to have that championship camaraderie. All right, and then film study Baltimore, like we mentioned, has the defensive notes up there. The offensive notes will be in the next day or so as you continue to go through. Yeah, we got a little short out there I did with a Scottish guy with a very thick accent. But the U.K. has a lot of great football fans. In fact, they brought us PFF directly. It was started in the U.K. before Collinsworth bought it and moved it to Cincinnati. But anyway, I, I, I would encourage you to, to, to listen to that. He's got some interesting ideas about the pistol formation. Can be a little bit different, difficult to understand, a little bit thick, but he's he's Got a lot of good ideas there. Yeah, a lot of uh, attention happening this week about the pistol and the Ravens. I've seen a few articles and videos about it because they use it so much. Yeah, more than every other team in the NFL combined. So it's uh, it's definitely been an exciting thing. It's a Greg Roman trademark. And, the, and the, the idea of the short is, does the pistol go away if Roman goes somewhere as the head coach? All right. Definitely worth checking out. All right, guys. Well, we will talk soon.
Lowe's. We're your go-to for great gardening values every day. That's why we've lowered our price on select bagged mulch. Now starting at just $2.88 a bag. Mulch helps prevent weeds and retains moisture. And when you put it down around trees, shrubs, and flower beds, you'll see how beautiful it makes your outdoor space. Just in time to welcome back family and friends. Shop online and pick up in store. Lowe's, home to the best part of summer. Selection and product availability vary by location. While supplies last, U.S. only. Excludes Alaska and Hawaii. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.